The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop being so effin' sharp and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 560, the F-Sharp panel from the Boston Road Trip Stop, recorded live Monday, May 3rd, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who's feeling a little recursive, Carl Franklin. Well, it's my very good fortune as part of the road trip to include an unbelievable discussion, at least I'm expecting, on F-Sharp. And I have this lineup of folks up on the slide up here. It's uh, from on my right, going to the left, it's Talbot Crowell. Hello. And uh, Rich uh, Minerich. Uh, Minerich. Minerich, sorry. Nice to meet you. And, uh, well, RHS, you, you only go by acronyms now anyway, don't you? No, I actually, I, I dropped the acronym. Ah. I only go by the full domain name. RichardHaleshaw.com? Yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, guys, I, I know there's some slides to start off with here, and we'll uh, integrate this into the whole process. Uh, who's starting? I'll uh, go ahead and start. All right. Tell it. So, I'll take it away. All right. Uh, well, um, we decided to actually start with a, just a quick intro to F Sharp before we, before the panel, just to um, uh, start you thinking and then plus uh, talk a little bit about what why we like F Sharp. Um, so go ahead and uh, move forward. All right. So um, I, my, the three things I picked are uh, type uh, type inferencing yet strongly typed uh, functions as first class values and finally succinct. Uh, so let's first start with the uh, type inferencing. Um, one thing that's really, really cool about F-sharp is, um, uh, you know, like a lot of like more terse languages like Perl or JavaScript, you don't have to actually uh, explicitly um, uh, declare your data types. Um, but it's still strongly typed. So if you'll notice here, we've got let A equals 5. That's A. Everyone? What data type is that? Integer? Yeah. Right. Very good. Very uh, good. Let B equals uh, 6.0. That's a 
Well, it's actually already up there. Is a float. Um, we got C is a string. D is actually an integer um, using uh, uh, units of measure. So you can actually declare a unit of measure there as, as feet or, or, or meters and actually have provide conversions. But the next one's really cool because E is a function. So you can declare um, your functions just right there and you don't have a lot of ceremonies. So um, anyone want to guess what uh, F is? Nope. Think real carefully and look at the lines above. It's not a function. We've got a, a taker in the back here, Talbot. Close. Nope. But not a partial function application. It's not. I think you got him, Talbot. Yeah. It's not an int. It's actually a, f a float. Right? So, oh, did e I... Uh, EB is a float? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, EB. B is a float. So E is a function that's, that squares two numbers. Um, and so I'm passing B, which is 6.0, uh, to uh, a square function, and that returns, um, what, 36, I guess? So F is a float. So believe me, if we, th we threw this into the F-sharp uh, uh, interactive window, it would actually uh, give you a float. So F is actually a float. Okay. Um, what about G? That's, that's actually a trick question. It's an error. Right. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, because F sharp is more strongly typed than C sharp, you can't even just, you can't uh, add a, a, an integer to a double. That just doesn't even allow you. You have to convert one of them to the other data type before doing that operation. All right. So, so this is one of the things I really like about it. A second thing, um, thing two is uh, using functions as first-class values. So um, if you want to be able to pass functions around to um, methods in C-sharp, at least in C-sharp 2.0, you needed to use delegates. Um, now with, with, um, with F-sharp, you can do, just pass them out just very easily. You'll notice here in the sequence.map, we're passing the square function and uh, passing a, a series of, of numbers. And... Um, the result is a series of, of squares. So very, very easy to pass around functions. Um, and I, I believe there's a lot of additions to C-sharp that's, that's making that even more and more easier as well. And then the third, th thing three, is succinct. So um, here's, here's a, a, a moving average function that I wrote, uh, a couple of functions, um, just to, to calculate moving average um, using doubles. And... Um, so, so I'm calling one function that's calling another function, and Richard Hillshaw noted that we could probably write this much more elegantly with link, right? But um, link is much more is much more functional approach to to writing um, uh, in spirit closer to uh, F sharp. Exactly in spirit, yeah. so a lot more a lot more um, functional. So let's uh, see this 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 uh, uh, function in F sharp. So I had to expand it really big so you could see it. Three <laughs> lines of code. It's not my code. I actually stole it off of a website like, like everyone else did. So I copy of that code. Um, Brian uh, McNamara, who actually works on the F-sharp team, um, was responding to a blog, quote, uh, blog post on Stack Overflow about five different versions of the moving average um, function implemented at F-sharp. I liked his because it was so brief and elegant and um, works really nicely. So those are the three things I like about F-sharp. Thanks, Talbot. Let's see, next slide. All right, this is the only slide I have, but I would like to walk you through this. Um, the three things I like about F-sharp is that it's small, safe, and supple. That is, uh, the code is quite small. Uh, 
very much smaller than uh, C sharp in most cases. And um, it's safe as in um, it, the goal in F sharp is you make it so you can't represent unsafe states in your program. So for instance, instead of having nulls, you have something you have to check, like unwrap before you can use it. So you don't get like these random exceptions from unexpected data states. And the last thing is supple. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but it has a lot to do with the fact that um, when the F-sharp team approaches a problem, they make it so they solve the problem in a general way and then implement something that um, you can actually implement a lot more with than just solving the particular problem they're thinking about. So while most things are baked into the compiler in C-sharp, F-sharp things are made out of constructs made in F-sharp so that they can, they're very general and you can do lots of interesting things with them. So in this particular case, we just have an, a special function here that's um, used for asynchronous web requests. All it does is make a web client. It, it fits a URI and a web client into uh, a couple of variables there. And then that let bang is actually an asynchronous call. That asynchronous call, when it returns, comes back on the line right after it. So there's no hooking up of event handlers or anything like that. No crazy delegate matching. It just straight like you expect, a very linear flow of information. And this is actually fits into the safe category too. Because now, instead of having some weird thing happen where maybe um, an event gets attached multiple times or not at all, and you get weird exceptions, it, it happens exactly like you expect it to. Um, the try with, the try with uh, syntax there is just try catch pretty much, except at the bottom you can match different types of exceptions very easily. Um, so what this returns is a special function that's wrapped in this, uh, this sort of uh, thing that lets you execute it asynchronously, either a lot of them in parallel or on the side while you do something else. So your, your GUI keeps updating. And this is, uh, it's very, this is very interesting, right? Because now instead of like having to go through a lot of pain to wire up tons of events, you just have a nice little tiny function that you call or even pass. It's very easy to map this to a long list of URLs and just get the data asynchronously and not worry about what's going on behind the scenes. Or like if you hooked up all the little pieces correctly, the glue just is gone. There's, there's no glue. The glue is all behind the scenes now. Um, this async block this is actually interesting. This fits into the supple category because it, um, it's written using a generic thing called computation expressions in F-sharp. So you could make one of these yourself. You, there's, uh, the, the possibilities are limitless. And it's, it's great for the alpha geek because they can think about things that just blow their minds. And it's great for the everyday developer because they can program in a very safe and convenient way with very little code. And um, like small amounts of code, easier to maintain, um, it's great in so many ways. Fewer bugs because it, because of the safety and uh, just code size is so tiny. It's it's really mind blowing and you have to try it. Um, that's it for me. Uh, on to you, Richard. Cool. Thank you. Um, before we go to another slide, so as you kind of guessed, we're not trying to educate you in F sharp in 15 minutes. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're also not going to give you a marketing view of F sharp. Okay. We're just going to talk about things that we find um, useful, productive, uh, intuitive, um, uh, appealing to us uh, about this new language. And then I'm sure these guys will have all sorts of questions. They'll ask us, well, why would you even bother? And why is it called F-sharp? And we'll say, we don't know. It was somebody else's because we're not in marketing. 
But, uh, but the idea was kind of, kind of jump in and give you some of what we see, uh, when we're working with this programming language. So these guys, I think, did a great job of really articulating one key point is that it's, it's very small and very terse and that there's a big value in terseness. And it kind of goes back to what Chris was talking about during the interview earlier, um, about reducing the number of lines of code. It's something I like to call more white spaces goodness. And you get a lot of goodness of that kind using the right kind of tools in this particular case with F sharp. Let's go to, uh, let's see, what have I got? Okay, go to the next slide, please. So among, and I think if you asked any of us, we probably all have a lot of favorite features of this language. So for me, one of my favorite features uh, was simply that uh, local variables are immutable by default. Exactly the opposite of what you get with a lot of contemporary programming languages. Okay. Um, if you want to create a variable that is mutable, you have to say so. You have to be explicit about indicating that it's a, a variable that can be changed. There's a big win in being able to write code where you know no one can change the value of a variable. Okay. It, it's really easy to write. Uh, code that where, where state considerations suddenly become very, very elegant. Okay. In other words, only the things that can be changed are, are ones that you have to explicitly mark. There's, there's no other way to create variables that can be changed. You have to explicitly use the, the mutable keyword that you see in the example there. Okay. So I find that really, really nice. Um, next, please. This goes back to actually something that Talbot hinted at. Uh, functions really take on another dimension in F-sharp. Um, I remember when I was a, a contributing editor at PC Magazine, I had an executive ed who was editing some of my stuff, and he we first started doing coverage of object-oriented programming, and I was talking about objects and all in this article, and he said, Richard, there, there are no objects. There's just code and data. Okay, And to an extent, that's really true. But what F-sharp does really nicely of blurring the distinction yet again is letting you treat functions or procedures um, almost identically to data in terms of what the outcome of function is, in terms of the result it returns. Okay, So it actually makes it easier to write certain types of expressive statements. Uh, in this particular case, I've declared... Um, an array of values from 1 to 100, a static array, and then defined a new method called square. And square will square any values that can be squared. So obviously you don't square strings. You don't square characters unless you're going to make them numeric first, right? But any type of um, values that can be squared, like an integer or a float, would be useful with this particular method. Okay? And what's nice is you can define it really easily on the fly. You're effectively assigning the method operations to this label, square. Now, some of you have used uh, Lambda expressions in C Sharp and VB.net. This may feel familiar to you because it's kind of like the way we use Lambdas where we declare a uh, Lambda expression independently of another statement and assign it to a variable of a particular delegate type. Only notice I didn't have to say anything about a delegate or anything here. The compiler says, oh, this is some method that can square two values as long as that's an operation that applies to them. So then we can take that method called square and apply it 
to all of the values that are in numbers. And there's a special elegant uh, set of methods in the list class in the uh, F-sharp libraries. Uh, one of these methods is called map that I'm using here to effectively use that method and operate on every single value in the set of numbers and get the result back for all of those into squares. So we end up with the square of 1, 2, 3, etc., all the way up to 100 being performed for us. Now, obviously, you could do this in a loop. That's pretty inelegant and error-prone, but that's how people have been doing it in the software business, it seems like, for centuries, right? It goes back how long have loops been around. If you use link, you could do that fairly elegantly. At least it'd be easier to read and less error-prone, okay? But here we're able to apply the method to the, uh, the, the numbers and map the result into squares. And then you can see another application of uh, that list class. It's just a side issue. I had this larger sample, and I thought I'd just use it to illustrate the point of how methods just become little building blocks that you can build anytime you need them. Okay? Very, very nice. And I think I had one more. Oh, yeah, pipelining. So how many of you program Unix? Good. Written Unix command shell scripts and stuff like that. Okay. Same hands. How many of you used pipelining in that context? Okay. Keep your hands up if you liked pipelining. Very good. Just curious. Raise your hand if you don't like pipelining. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, okay. Yeah, there's reasons not to use it sometime, but when we use it and we find it useful, it's very handy. It's nice that the idea of being able to take data in the context of a program and pipeline the output of one method as input to another method. Now, you can do this pretty elegantly in C-sharp using link and in VB.net using link, <laughs> but it's kind of like the same way that porcupines mate very carefully, right? <laughs> so in link, it's only going to work if you have methods whose input is an I enumerable of T and whose output is an I enumerable of T or one of the derivatives like I queryable of T. Okay. Here we don't have to do anything like that, but we can still pipe the output of one method as input to another method using this piping mechanism in F sharp. So they've thought very, very carefully about how developers might get data from one point of operation to another and let you string those together as a series of operations, the same way we used to pipe data in a shell script in Unix. So I, I thought that was a nice little example to show that off. So those are our examples to just jump feet first into f -sharp. Excellent. Thank you, guys. So I guess it's up to me now to sort of kick these things off. And, and uh, Richard, I don't want to, uh, to pick on you right away. That you, it's never stopped you before. Yeah, it never stopped me before. Uh, you brought up the fact that, uh, that F-sharp is immutable by default, but you didn't say, I thought, why that was good. Uh, and, and so I was curious as to what's the strength there? Because generally speaking, I think when most folks declare a variable, they want it to be mutable. So what's the strength of making immutability uh, the default? It's a great point. Um, it really cuts down on errors because nine times out of ten – uh, if we have some type of error related to a, a variable buried in some method, it's because we made a change to it we didn't realize, right. or some part of our program made a change we didn't realize, maybe in, in, in a loop or something like this. This way it's explicit. This way it's clear. If you want to change it, you just make it mutable. But that way, it's almost self-documenting in that 
well, gee, if it's a problem with data being changed, there's a limited number of variables where that could happen because it's the mutable ones as opposed to the ones we didn't mark that way. And just to follow up on what Richard said, and by the way, I was your your uh, your monkey there. That's why I'm just joining now. Thank you for being your code welcome. monkey, Carl. It's yeah, yeah. So I was your PowerPoint monkey. Um, well, it seems to me that it's more just of a convention because we have variables that are immutable. They're called constants. And isn't it the word variable meaning that it can vary? Isn't that the whole idea? Do you mind if I uh, jump no, in on this a little bit? Well, you know, they're actually not called variables in F-sharp. They're called values. And um, the reason that it's really good and the reason that F-sharp is coming along now and, and starting to see adoption is that when you have a parallel system, a computer with many cores, you can't have, like, any kind of reasonable programming system, any kind of thing you can think about, where you're executing stuff on all these cores and it's changing all the time. It, it causes, like, chaos. It just, it's just pandemonium. I agree. I agree, but couldn't we do the same in C-sharp just by using constants? Who's going to enforce it? Well, that's my point. It's convention. The convention is you use constants by also, default. So you can't use a constant for uh, a value that's calculated, but you can in F-sharp, right? So if you have um uh, if you're assigning a value like the square of a number um you if you're passing that number in as part of your program a constant needs to uh to know that value ahead of time. You can use read only but the only problem about read only is you can only assign it once. Right. F-sharp so there is allows a you to assign it over and over in different in a different context. So and and to to Carl's point here an immutable value or a mutable value in F-sharp is different from a variable in C-sharp. There are characteristic differences. Uh, Optimization-wise, sometimes. Yeah. But behaviorally, feature set-wise, it's essentially the same thing. I think you're right. You write your code the same way. If you say it is mutable, then you know you've got something that you can make changes to the same right. way you would in C-sharp. Um, but it becomes a... a better way to declare your intentions. Um, ultimately, what we tend to forget when we're writing code is that we won't be responsible for it down the road. I don't mean we're irresponsible, but it's just a fact that you write it and you work on it, and then you get assigned to something else, and somebody else is now going to be responsible. Yeah, software is never done. It's just abandoned. <laughs> exactly. And, and very few people really declare their intentions with comments, things like that. Any way we can make the code a little more readable, a little better documented, and maybe a little more white space in the process is a goodness. I mean, I think C-sharp made a, a lot of major advances with this. In And I'm gonna, I, I think C-sharp in particular made major advances with this uh, over, say, VB.net with the real implications of, of generics and then link and all that coming along. So F-sharp is yet another evolution for doing certain things and being able to declare your intentions. In, a, in the context of a multi-core or asynchronous application, that becomes a major win. Now, people have talked a lot of times about the fact that F-sharp and parallelism are going to go well together, but there's nothing in the incarnation of F-sharp we have today in Studio 2010 that is innately more parallel, is there? Oh, there definitely is with the asynchronous library, for sure. And also consider the fact that it's not just values that are immutable. Um, it's got a whole series of data structures associated with it. And like things like record types, where when you have a record and you want to change a value in it, you say, um, give me this old record with this field having this value. And so it's got a lot of infrastructure to support this whole idea of immutability. So it's not just that, oh, I could do this in C sharp. The thing is, is that you would have to be able to make, you have to make classes like big 
bulky classes all the time that do these things. And in F sharp, um, the work has been done for you in terms of making things immutable. That, but I guess my question, Rich, is really how do we get multiple threads in action in our F sharp code? Where, where, is there a declaration there? Like how did we actually utilize so multiple that, threads? That, that uh, sample I showed up mm-hmm. there, it would be three lines of code to feed a list of URLs into that and run on um, as many cores as your uh, thread pool can handle. So what spins up the different threads? What, what I remember your line of code, and of course the big one was the let bang, which right. was the asynchronous call. Async yeah. Is that is that essentially the point where it's saying you can make a thread for each of these? Yes, it, it re- actually returns a construct of async of the return value of that, which means that that can be evaluated asynchronously at a later time for to get the result you want. Okay, I'm just if I was actually going to sit down with. Uh, Process Explorer and run this app in F sharp that, that was built in F sharp. So now I'm watching the assembly run. Am I going to see threads get spun up as that executes? Like- if you say async.parallel and you pass in your list of asynchronous blocks, then yes, you will just see them spin up. So there are some keywords to doing parallelism in F sharp. In fact, in F sharp, I'm sorry to, to hog, but no, no, no. Uh, in F sharp, um, there's so like I was saying before the language constructs they're almost all built into the library mm-hmm. so there a lot of them are functions that take functions instead of being things that are baked into the compiler so it has a, this asynchronous object um, it's actually called a module with a lot of functions in it that take this right. um, generic asynchronous thing and do tons of stuff in it with it like um, you can pass it a set of continuations to do different things under different circumstances you can execute it um, asynchronously or synchronously if you like. Um, you can do quite a lot of different things. And it's a building block. So you put that together with your other functions, boom, you've got an asynchronous program. I think that's what Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and you, you remember that async word with a lowercase a, that is actually not a keyword. It's actually just a reference to a computational expression that was built in F-sharp, uh, computational expressions. So you can create your own types of, of, uh, of, uh, of workflows and, and uh, computational expressions using that, using your own, your own words. And then the async, uh, with a capital A that you saw before is think of it as a C-sharp class in the .NET library. It's like a static class. It has, uh, uh, you know, async.parallel, async. Uh, run synchronously. But the, the declaration of asynchronous behavior and parallel behavior are different, right? You, you need both if you're actually going to do parallel execution. The idea is the same, though. You want to wrap something up in, in a way that makes it have no attachment to the outside so right. you can pass it around. The, like Computationally, the ideas are very similar, so they're both expressed in the same thing in order to make it easy to use it in either situation. Like with that async block thing that I showed, you could just say, you know, async.start and pass this in with an input, and it would... Uh, run asynchronously, and when it returned, it would just dump it to nowhere. But, I mean, you can run with a continuation that says call this later. Mm-hmm. Or you can run it in another async block and then use let bang. You can do lots of different things, and it all stacks up like uh, like you were saying. Yeah. In those building blocks. There's also async run as task. So you can actually leverage the task, the, uh, task parallel library. And now you can actually um, you, you know benefit from all the functionality and built into the TPL. And since our data structures are immutable, they're much better suited to that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you if can use the that. TPL directly or you can use it via uh, asynchronous workflows. So I've asked every time we've done a show on F Sharp, I've asked this question. You know, I'm Joe Developer. I'm representing Joe Developer out there, and you guys know who you are. And we're writing line of business applications, right? 
and people are talking about F sharp. And I think, okay, well, that'd be cool for doing math libraries. But, you know, this is my stereotype in my head. Convince me to use this in a line of business application. Um, Amanda Locker and Ted Neward said, yes, definitely. Um, some other people we talked to said, mm, probably not. You probably write things that need to be functional in little DLLs and then call those from your C sharp or VB net code or whatever. What is, what are each, let's at, let each of you answer this question. What is your take on line of business applications with F sharp? Um, well, I definitely think that there's a, a different skill set that's associated with F sharp. So, um, is the learning curve, uh, switching from, uh, imperative programming and object oriented programming over to functional programming? Um, but as, uh, functional programming gets, becomes more popular. And, and it, by the way, it's been around a lot longer than object oriented programming. Yes. But as it becomes more popular, there'll be a larger resource base. Um, showing up in the future. Uh, currently, it's not not that easy to find talented uh, F sharp programmers. So, so um, th- that would be one consideration. The other consideration is there may be core like think of when C plus is is more advantageous. C plus is still heavily used. Windows is written in C plus SQL Server. Mm. Um, so there may be aspects that you want to write in F sharp. And then leverage that from C sharp. So your bulk of your programmers could be writing in C sharp or VB, um, but different sort different of as areas. we use Link now because of its of its functionalness, exactly, you know, or whatever you call functionality or func- whatever. I can't remember what you, what's the word. Functuosity. I like it. I like it. Right. So you get a little taste of link and then you say, well, maybe what if we had, you know, we have this object model or whatever. What if we could do X with it? Maybe we can give that to our F sharp guy and see if he could figure it out. Yep. So you're along the line of write your line of business apps the way you always have. And when those things come up, that functional programming language could solve easier. Yeah. Right, a little assembly in F sharp and plug it in. Exactly. Like when Amanda Locker went into uh, Grange Insurance, she was able to write a, a, a basically a framework that the programmers could leverage, um, and they could still write um, some of the calculations in C sharp. Um, but the framework there, which they didn't really have to maintain. Um, a, a, as diligently as, as some of the other calculations. Those calculations were actually um, done in C-sharp, um, but the parallel uh, framework was actually written in F-sharp. So uh, I would say definitely that the biggest problem with F-sharp right now is, is choosing an, in choosing a language is that um, not enough people know it. Although OCaml is a very similar language, and there's quite a lot of financial programmers out there that already know OCaml. And it's, it's actually uh, with some some reworking, it can almost compile exactly the same. So it's, it's not that big of a deal in a lot of ways. And also consider that um, in, in terms of thinking about learning F-sharp, a lot of people who hire pick people that, learn, that are learning these kind of like more um, mind-bending and interesting languages sometimes because it shows that they're interested in, uh, in, yeah. in things that are complicated. And, and they, they may have. be able to bring a fresh perspective to a problem that your typical programmers don't have. Exactly. And, and in fact, writing in F-sharp has changed the way I write C-sharp a lot. And you see oh, this on the net. Like a uh, lot of immutable um, objects I make now with, with just getters and after construction, no, no touching. A lot of, uh, you know, link-like stuff. Or, I mean, you can still c- kind of do pipelining by like dot, 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 just passing one thing into the next and using extension methods all over the place. So... Um, you can actually write a lot of the constructs um, that you can operate on a list in F sharp very easily in C sharp. So I'm just, just using extension methods so that you can provide mutable interfaces to immutable 
uh, data structures? Is that what more you're like about? immutable functions on mutable data structures? Okay. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. Richard. <laughs> Who? You're on. Thanks. Line of business I, apps. I think, um, I think I, I agree with those points, but I would add that um, I see F-sharp as perhaps the, C -sharp, the, um, the thinking C-sharp developer's best friend. Hmm. Now, there are a lot of people who are not thinking C-sharp developers, but there are a lot of people who don't think anyway, and it doesn't matter whether they program or not, right? Um, and the reason why is if you, if you look at the history of the framework, to me, the big win over the technologies that preceded it has been uh, its ability to let the developer introduce his or her own abstractions that represent operations and data um, that they're working with every day in their applications. The framework itself has a lot of these abstractions, but you can easily extend them or add your own. Uh, with the advent of, of generics and link, that just went through the roof. Um, F-sharp, to me, adds a whole new set of abstractions or new ways of creating those abstractions. And I think of it as the best tool for, um, extra tool in the toolbox for a C-sharp developer working in what we used to call the middle tier. They're right. doing the business logic. There are certain types of operations. It's not just number crunching, but I think even um, uh, text processing or data uh, data processing when you're thinking of, of, of manipulating and working with data in unusual ways. So the true middle tier, not the stuff that goes and talks to your entity framework models or all that stuff, but when you have that data, you're working with those data constructs and you're performing logic on it. Yeah. yeah. In other words, if I've got a whole bunch of C-sharp code that is the connecting glue between a lot of different layers, mm. some of the implementation of that material is, is going to be best done in F-sharp, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the look of an app in this sort of hybrid model is very challenging to deal with, too. It's not like you're going to have an F-sharp library and a, a C-sharp app. You're going to end up with smatterings all over. Yes. It just, to me, sounds like... You know, we've been there before. This mixed language model is yeah. very challenging to deal with. Yeah, but I don't think this is the same uh, deal because I do think that the um, that the feel, the flavor, if you will, of F sharp is closer in spirit to what a C sharp developer is trying to do at certain points. I'm not saying every single time, but uh, I've seen a lot of cases where customers are taking C sharp and they are building a set of uh, operations where they want to pipe data from one to the next mm -hmm. and perform various transformations. And, and Link all of a sudden coming along made that a lot easier. But in some respects, you wouldn't have even needed Link if you'd had F-sharp. And that means that there are probably still a lot of operations where going back and rethinking those problems, I wouldn't necessarily jump 
to, to using Link to, to solve those problems. In, in many cases, I'm not saying you throw away Link. It's great. I love it. Um, but it becomes another way to extend your ability to solve certain types of problems uh, in in the uh, the business logic itself. When you're really doing the real work, and I'm not talking about the, the pretty stuff that somebody sees on screen. The customers are going to tell you they want the pretty stuff on screen. In my opinion, Customers ultimately want results, and they would go to plain text screens if it produced the results in a viable way. We love all the glitter and, and goo and the pretty stuff and all that of user interfaces, but ultimately, if it's a pretty user interface and it doesn't do squat for you, you're going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And this is another way to get that stuff built so it's very, very clean, very efficient, and super easy to maintain. And that's, that is what we, we don't ever factor in is, is that the real cost of software is not the initial release. It's what you're going to do four releases down the road and you want to add 15 new features and you've got this minefield of stuff because somebody just threw a whole bunch of crap together. This makes it possible to write a lot of things without having to resort to the crap. And there's yep. always that, that law of unintended consequences. Yeah. The lines of code go up. Yeah. But is that the only, that's a very tough tangible for the average business owner to grab onto still. Don't worry, this will make the next version better. You know, the reason that we're seeing so many projects that are so poorly tested and so forth is that it's more important to ship than it was to worry about the next version. Is there any other things in F-sharp that are really tangible to the business owner? Separately, we can have a conversation about the whole philosophy of shipping Yes. Yeah, I mean, getting apps out the door, but it's just like Wall Street and you're going to, you're going to meet a target every quarter. What business works on a 90 day cycle that's cut and dry for certain measurements? Yeah, but it makes no sense. That said. Yeah. But I, I'm I didn't also go thinking, there. <laughs> given a set, I mean, uh, Rich had a great example where he showed the number of lines of code to, or maybe it was Talbot's example. Well, number of lines of code for C sharp, number of lines of code for F sharp. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and so there was a brevity piece in there. Yeah. Which I don't think the business owner would care a whole bunch about because he never looks at the code. What he cares about is the functionality of it. Is the F sharp version faster? It can be. So, so that was an interesting uh, example that I showed because when I wrote it in C sharp, um, I was actually taking a, an array of doubles. When, but my, the F sharp implementation actually takes a sequence. So it could handle a stream of millions of numbers where right. the, the C sharp implementation, now that I, I could have written it in C sharp to, to handle a stream, but the, the natural but that thing be, that, that came That would be to even me, more goo. Yeah. But the, but the natural thing that came to me as a C sharp programmer, as a programmer who's been programming for, for, uh, 20 years now, that, that that's what came naturally to me, the, the way to write it. Mm-hmm. But from an F-sharp standpoint, I could actually take that stream. And think of also um, number of lines of code um, usually has a, 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 a fairly consistent number of number of bugs per lines of sure. code. So um, if you go from eight lines of code in that C-sharp implementation to f- three lines of, of code in F-sharp, um, there's, less, there's less code to maintain. Someone else is, is writing the, the map function at, at, at Microsoft that and, I didn't have to write. And there's a strong argument there for the business owner saying, it will take me less time to write this. Yeah, more productivity. Yeah. But, or will it really? Because I always get the sense whenever I talk to F-sharp folks that you spend more time thinking about the problem. You do. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a really good point because mm-hmm. isn't the real problem we get with new developers same as it was when many of us got yeah, into the business? they don't think the problem through. The, the first thing they want to do is sit down and start typing. Right. Right? And touching the keyboard. And the mature folks, and I don't mean necessarily age, but when they're mature about their thinking, about software development, the first thing they're going to do is sit down and think, what is the real problem we're trying to solve right. here? How is it going to be solved? And let's 
think out all the implications. Now, that's what gets back to my divergence, which I won't go to. Mm -hmm. But it ties back in that if we did more thinking up front like that, we wouldn't be paying a significant price three versions later when you are trying to ship in a hurry with 15 new f- major features. So you, you give me a sense that F-sharp forces me to do that thinking up front? Then? I think it lends itself to it. Anybody can write crummy code in any programming language, period. If Including F-sharp? Absolutely. Okay. That's fair. But it gives you the tools. It well, gives you the tools and the encouragement. It's like if you have a library, like PHPs, for instance, that's garbage. You're only going to use that as your model, your mental model of how a library should look, and you're mm-hmm. going to write garbage. Now, if you have something that's nice and elegant and you're using it every day, um, you're going to make nice, elegant stuff. And similarly, um, also, anyone who comes to a new programming language is going to take longer to write the same thing, especially if they have to think about new paradigms, think about composing functions together, things that they didn't think about before. But I know I've been using F-sharp for a couple of years now, and it's coming as natural to me as C-sharp now. It's very fast to write once you get the hang of it. It's just that a lot of people sit down and they're like, oh, this isn't exactly the same as C sharp. And now it's taking me twice as long, maybe three times as long to write the same thing. Yeah. It might be smaller, but they're just not used to it yet. And and I think to Richard's point that, you know, elegance and the, you know, the satisfaction we get as programmers does not a business case make. But what the thing that you guys are touching on is I can do more powerful computations in less time. With less code, therefore less error prone. That's a business case. And it's, it's more, it's more, it's more, um, uh, powerful because it has the immutable constructs, right? So that you can actually parallelize it. The, the, the lazy is, is, is almost the default in a lot of the constructs. Wow. So the sequences, yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Sequence, I should Not say. Haskell. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but the idea though is that, that, um, you know, the, the execution can optimize the, the environment and actually take up less resources. I was just going to add that, you know, these guys are right on the money with that. If we're looking, if we're not willing to look at the initial investment as an investment, if a business owner says, oh, well, you know, is this going to help me ship faster and doesn't look anything beyond that? Or if no one goes to the point of selling him or at least explaining to him or her on that point, then why bother? And why bother with .NET or, or any of yeah, this? Yeah, that has nothing to do with S-sharp, per se. That's always the cost of new set of tools. Exactly. You know, and do we so learn how to use uh, source Do management? we look at the real value? Sure. Or do we just go for the quick drag and drop and you're done? That, that just creates bugs every time. And this is the .NET community isn't the only place where this transformation is happening. Right. In Java mm-hmm. and even on like the an LLVM and, and Linux, like their functional programming languages are blossoming all over the place because... A lot of programmers see the advantages, and they're seeing it in everyday use. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and can you name some of the other languages? Um, that, that Scala, Scala, Closure, Closure. Yeah. yeah, Closure seems to be the one that's in the Java space. That's it's really grabbing on that the, the Java folks are saying here's an alternative approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scala. it's pretty much Lisp on the JVM. Right. For the .NET people listening, you know. Um, if you already understand what the, the value of Lambda expressions and being able to drop in a bit of code as a succinct operation and pass a Lambda as a parameter to another method, then all of a sudden you start realizing there's a tremendous amount of power in effectively leaving a piece out that can be supplied at runtime very safely and very elegantly. Well, this is really that same type of thinking, but expanded uh, tremendously beyond just one little step like that. But that's the way to go about 
uh, thinking about it. So if we're new to functional programming for C-sharp programmers out here, do you recommend books or do you recommend classes? Well, I would say definitely get used to link and Lambda expressions first. Yeah. I've given talks and a lot of times C-sharp programmers really haven't even explored the space of Lambda expressions and the new extension methods that they use in C-sharp. And that's a great place to get comfortable. After that, um, you know, there's a lot of books around. Talbot and I are actually working on one right now called uh, Professional F-sharp 2.0 uh, with Ted and uh, Aaron Erickson. Okay. So... Um, had to throw the little. But do you in. think do you think it's do you think it's easy enough for somebody to grok reading a book, or does it? I mean, I've always these kind of complex, mind-bending things to me have always been better in a classroom. It's how I learned it. Yeah. I, I sat there with uh, Don Zimes' book, Expert F Sharp, in my lap, and I just yeah. resolved that I was going to implement something. And I started small, and I had a lot of problems at first. Mm. But um, you know. You can figure it out. You just have to be determined. Mm-hmm. I, a class will help, though, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you learn by doing. So the more the more you're just you know hacking away, at it, the better. And so and true. you can get that information, a lot of that information from blogs. The only thing that's tough about blogs right now is that F Sharp went through uh, a lot of changes over the past few years. So yeah, a lot they of the didn't blogs, take those old posts down. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so we're 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 gonna try to get the F Sharp community out there to to update those blogs so that they'll all compile with. Uh, make sure to check the dates. Twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. Dates matter. I, and I've definitely heard from a few F Sharp folks that when they first started out, they they picked a job, they wrote the first version of it, made it work, and then were embarrassed by it and wrote it again and wrote it again. And, and then primary measures seem to be reducing the number of lines of code. But doesn't yes. that sound like the process that you go through? To a certain extent, learning any new programming language, a good developer is going to say, I'm yeah. making it a goal to solve certain problems in this new with this new tool. So what I'm going to first start doing is solve the problems I already know to solve right. with the new tool to familiarize myself. That just makes sense. Then as your understanding grows and your ability to comprehend what this tool is really going to do, you start seeing implications for it that go beyond, uh, if it's a good tool, what you actually were able to do with the old tool in the first place. To go back to your point about classes versus books, to me it's a, a false dichotomy. People learn in different ways. Okay? I mean – Okay, I'm in the training business. It'd be real easy for me to say, yes, you should only learn from classes. But that's that's just crap because somebody might actually be very effective learning from a book and somebody else might not. So that's why I say it's a false dichotomy. I think you have to figure out how you learn. Heck, if you don't already know that, you should stop doing any programming because you're going to be learning your entire career, and that's going to be the, the 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 one constant in your entire career. And if you don't understand how you learn best, you need to step back, figure that out, because anything new you're going to be faced with this, what's the best way? Somebody else might say, forget books, forget classes. I'll surf the blogs. I'll even figure out which samples are from the older versions by trying to compile them. might sound counterproductive, but somebody might learn a lot about F-sharp that way. I want to jump back to parallels a little bit because I think it's one of the more interesting potentials going forward. I've always had the sense that, uh, and I remember functional languages back in the eighties mm. when, when object orientation won and the functional guys were sort of left by the wayside right. that, uh, even then we talked about when we need to execute massively parallel, this is a better route, but we're not doing that right now. So why would you go that way? Now that those things have changed, do you really code that differently in F sharp? to be parallel or not parallel. Is there really much syntax difference there? 
I would say you, you, you write the beauty of it is the code is this, largely the same regardless. I mean, it's and the difference where you differ with me on that. Point. Oh, no, it's very small differences to go to parallel. In fact, you can, a lot of times you can just take existing code, wrap an async block right. on it, maybe throw one let bang in and then you're good to go. I was sort of thinking of the difference between link and plink. You know, it's very simple, yep. you know, declarative way. And, and I've, I've heard of examples. We have, we run an F sharp user group and I've heard of exa- examples of, of folks that have been able to actually just take, uh, code that they've written in F sharp and, and in very little time write an async block around it and, um, and, and be able to, to, to leverage the advantage. Let's compare that to C sharp or VBnet. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Totally oh, different. I should, I should step in here and, and plug these two guys because they and, and another fellow did found an F sharp user group that meets right here. Uh, once a month, first, first, first Monday for, of every month. Right. I think most of the guys are here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you see that camera and yeah. you see these other people are going to hear this. And if you're so in, where New are England, we actually? Microsoft Cambridge. Exactly. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in New England and you want to check out one of the premier F sharp user groups, you need to check out these guys. And what's the URL? FSUG.org. Slowly. FSUG.org. Very stands good. for F sharp user group. Yep. Great. And it, does it meet right here in this building? It does, right here in, in this one memorial drive, yeah. Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. I think yep. we've covered that. <laughs> and actually, one of our members, the one member I referred to is, is, is here right now. His name is, uh, Jason King. And he, he, he was, he's, he's actually spoken at our group and yeah, he's done talk. some amazing, 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 uh, 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 examples of real world F sharp experience of actually oh, making things happen. Although he is a, he's an O'Cameller, so. <laughs> See, those inside jokes are lost on me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. All right. Hey. Hey, I, I'm, I'm good with that. All right, I'm good with that too. You, know, you guys had enough? I mean, uh, I can take as many as you can throw at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you a tough one here because you've hinted at it a couple of times, and it's, and it's something that I'm considering. Uh, there are many elements in F-sharp that you're now seeing reflected in C-sharp, things like link and lambda expressions and so forth, which makes me wonder if the next version of C-sharp incorporating even more of those factors is going to obviate the need for someone to bother to learn F-sharp. I can do what I'd want out of F-sharp working in these new features of a C-sharp. Wait, can I, you got time for a joke? All right. The next C sharp, all variables are immutable, are mutable <laughs> by, by default. You realize well, yeah, that that's going to go over real well. <laughs> you realize someone will hear just that little segment yeah. and they'll be blogging about it as if it were true. <laughs> yeah. That was a joke. Yeah. But it, I think it's a salient point that, uh, develop, I don't want to say developers are lazy because I don't believe it's true. I think developers are very cautious with the energy they put into new things. Yep. They triage very yep. carefully. Will I get sufficient benefit from this? And so somebody out there is thinking, hey, Anders Halsberg's wicked smart. He keeps adding to this language. He's already put some of this parallel tendency and, uh, and functional tendency into C Sharp. If I just stay with my man, I'll get what I need. So... Anders actually referred to um, something called the, like the, the life cycle of a language. So every every language has a beginning, a maturity, and an end. 
Um, and uh, C-sharp is going very, very strong. But um, sometimes what happens to languages is they get, you add more and more and more and more to it, and it becomes complex. Think of like C++. There are so many different ways to accomplish the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, How many strings? Java started off really, really simple. C-sharp started off very, very simple. They're now becoming very difficult to learn because they're so complex. F-sharp is at the beginning. It's taken everything from the past, and it's a very, uh, a very straightforward elegant, simple language. Now, F-sharp will become more mature in the future, but I think F-sharp is our future, and C-sharp is our present. I mean, going back to supple, right? Like, the things that they bake into C-sharp from F-sharp will all come in the compiler, because that's just the mindset. That's how it works. It's how it always worked, and it's really hard to retrofit these sorts of things in, like very basic things like the async block they have to be at the compiler level, yeah? It's why Link is a whole new language. It requires special, the special version of the compiler. I mean, you can kind of hack in some um, magic to get it to work in 2.0, but you need the 3.5 compiler. So um, what it really comes down to is that you can evolve much more quickly in F-sharp because you can now leverage these libraries that mm. people are writing that are going to do these crazy things and experiment with all kinds of new ideas because they're fast and it doesn't just it's not just the team now that gets to make these decisions but it does take a certain type of creativity and and a sort of mathematical mind to sort of put that stuff together does it not but you don't have to like the the fact that there that other people will do it is good right um in fact, F-sharp has a lot for the regular developer with just immutability, making parallelism easy and pipelining mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff. But it also has these great features that you don't necessarily need to even know about. Mm. Like comp- computation expressions, there's quotations, which are crazy. There's all kinds of crazy low-level stuff you can do. But you don't have to know. You can yeah. just benefit from it. Yeah, I would, um, I would actually say that I think... Um, with Anders, um, you know, we're talking about an individual who probably has more experience creating real-world useful and in-use programming languages than any other mm. person on the face of the planet. Yeah. Uh, Bjorn Strostrup is a great guy and very, very smart, but he doesn't have that wealth of experience. Uh, other people have been... I don't even mention that guy uh, at Java because I think he's full of crap. Um, <laughs> he's, if he had spent half the time that he was spending bashing Microsoft improving instead Java, they would have a much better platform. I mean, those guys just screwed their customer base. That's my opinion. Halsberg, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we're talking um, Turbo Pascal. We're talking... Delphi, there was, I think, something in between the two there at Borland. And then he worked on the uh, Java products at Microsoft and, and now C Sharp. And I think he understands exactly what Talbot was referring to with that, that life cycle idea. And that it doesn't make sense. It does make sense to look at other languages and say, is this feature valuable and would our customer base be able to use it? And is there an elegant way to put it into the language or not? But I don't think he's out to just put everything in there no, into C Sharp. So. It doesn't make sense. And, and he's it, a smart it, guy. It makes sense to, to have F Sharp as a separate language to me just because of those fundamental differences that you have right out of the gate. I don't think they would fly. You've got Hence a clean sheet joke. of paper yeah, with right. other features you can build on. Yeah, but and, and this is actually the first time um, a, a, a functional language has entered into the the Microsoft stack. Uh, I mean, if you look at, we've got VB, we've got uh, C sharp, we've got C plus plus, we've got JScript. These are all imperative ways, uh, imperative programming language. This is a big shift right now. 
It, it also makes me wonder how well the CLR can really implement the potential of F sharp because at its core, the CLR was built as an object oriented uh, tool for uh, for compiling. Yeah, but I would add that I think um, part of the advantage is that. Um we made the joke earlier about OCaml, and you guys kind of went, huh? That's a predecessor language of F-sharp. And a lot of this has been going on in other domains where they've spent a lot of time um, making this stuff work and work well on various types of platforms, including ones like the CLR and and now, of course, on the CLR. Um, so I, don't, I think it's less of an issue. The other thing is that they've very cleverly isolated certain types of things in terms of library functions. And you could say a separate serendipitous effect for the C-sharp developers because F-sharp is now a product in that suite of languages with, with Visual Studio. Uh, there's a bunch of libraries that had to be there to support F-sharp, but those are just ordinary assemblies that any framework developer can right. reference and start using. So some of the functionality in F-sharp, if necessary and where it's appropriate, you could actually use to a small degree directly from C-sharp by referencing the F-sharp libraries in C-sharp. It's very powerful. It makes you wonder what the underlying IL would ultimately look like if you built two apps, one in each language. Because I've always had the sense that C-sharp was sort of closest to the CLR. Right. Uh, and can compare that to what uh, the F-sharp IL would look like. Actually, well, here, here's a good learning trick. Take any F-sharp assembly and open it up in Reflector with the C-sharp setting on. All right. So you can see what a given F-sharp program is actually producing in terms of C-sharp equivalent. Yeah, that, close anyway. in, in seconds, you'll start having a better understanding. If you already have a good grasp of what C-sharp really does, then understanding F-sharp becomes much, much easier. I'm I, sorry. Go ahead. It's Rick. okay. It's, uh, it was a good point, definitely. I was also wanted to say that they've, uh, they, they've added stuff to the CLR for F-sharp, yeah. um, like tail recursion optimization, which yeah. means when you have a recursive function that calls itself in a particular way that's good, it now turns into a loop and is fast. So there's lots of things like that. There's special, this thing called fast funk, which is a, a function that you can layer quickly. There's special tweaks to, um, multi-core. Like George Clinton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Don there's Simon. lots of there's lots of tweaks. Bootsy, so, baby. And good. That's the funk in that box. And, and Don Syme has an excellent track record. Yeah. Remember, before F Sharp being introduced to the .NET CLR, he, he introduced generics, mm -hmm. right? So generics have have uh, been a huge boon for for .NET, not just C Sharp. I couldn't live without them now. Yeah, that's by the way done at the other. Cambridge Research Center, but it's on another continent. Yeah, yeah sort of that way. You got it. To That's the, the east, right way. A little wet, but, you know, east. In the, on the other side of the pond. Yeah, the other side of the pond. We, and we've had Don on the show before, yeah. and un, an unbelievable mind without a doubt. Yeah. Just another guy who really thinks simply about the ways to program. So do you feel then, maybe not this version, maybe the next version, it would make sense to simply build your CRUD apps in F-sharp? No hybrids. One language. The one thing, the one thing that's holding everyone back is the tooling support. So maybe I don't know. So give me the design version. I just don't see it tools. having that kind of role. But maybe that's my particular approach. Mm -hmm. I I I I don't see seeding certain things that I do well in C sharp to doing exclusively in F sharp. Well, and I, I worry that so we haven't smaller. seen great success with hybrid development. That ultimately people want one language. Why? Well, let's 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 look Why at that. Why have we not Wait, seen hybrid development? Go for it. Think of a, your typical web app. You're dealing with SQL, the SQL language. You're dealing with either C sharp or VB. You're dealing with JavaScript. You're dealing with with uh, HTML. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with 
dozens of languages. Yes, but that's Jeez, uh, Albert, so it sounds like you're saying we already have hybrid <laughs> that's true. development. That's true. But I think you, you look at the current development model now because, yes, we were there. Yep. Now we're working all in C Sharp. We're using EF to taste ca- and, and Link to take care of our queries to the database they don't own anymore. Yep. And we're coding all the way to the client on, on C Sharp. C Sharp wins on all those platforms with issues. Yeah. True. Okay. But I think there's a sense from the development community that. I don't want to build hybrid apps. Give me one language. And if F Sharp, if the best guys I know in F Sharp aren't comfortable saying, I'll write my whole apps in F Sharp, you guys have got a problem. I don't agree. I don't think anyone's uh, that's, saying that's that. That's just a phony. Richard, You're though. just setting it up. What, are you running for, for office or something? That's one of these <laughs> I don't, I don't incredible claims you only hear from people in Washington on either side of the aisle. Richard, I'm shamed of you. I want you guys to make your hybrid case well, because I don't think it I don't. Happens. I don't believe in the hybrid case. I think that actually... You can do everything in F sharp. Go sit over there. That's I, I think you can definitely <laughs> do everything I, in F sharp. The whole the, it's the, all about the code generation yeah, right now yeah. because everything in in uh, Visual Studio that's designed for code generation was designed for C sharp or languages exactly like it. VB absolutely. So it's really hard to fit into that model, and they're working on that still. But beyond that, it's just like C sharp. When you write it, you can write a very imperative F sharp style code and still have a lot of the benefits, and it's small. Like, I don't see any reason not to just use F-sharp if you're comfortable in it. And, 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 and even though the tooling doesn't exist yet for a lot of the GUI development, think of the success of MVC, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is one approach of I want to be able to drag and drop my controls right on the on display and build wind forms. Uh, oh, sorry, web forms, rather. And then there's the MVC. We can write it all in code. And the MVC is actually uh, a very valid uh, uh, alternative to tooling. So through the same, the same argument, F-sharp could be your your platform where you don't necessarily need to rely well, on I, I see tooling. the relationship between MVC and F-sharp as being that brevity piece. Distill me down just the core bits that I really, really need. That's what people like about MVC. Yeah. Yep. Not a lot to learn. Get a lot of bang for your buck. F-sharp, a little more cerebral there, but same sort of thing. It's It's got great brevity. Yes. But I do think we need to clearly outline, maybe this is a white paper, maybe this is just a set of templates, what the hybrid development model looks like if we're going to do C-sharp, well, F-sharp. If, if you think about well, it. we start building those field apps, it, pure it, F-sharp. Okay, but here's the thing. Is the real difference when you say hybrid development it, that – they have to reside in separate assemblies. If they, I'm not saying I know anything or they're planning anything. I'm saying, but if that wasn't an issue, would you really care? I care about the maintainability of the app, right? Yes. And we've already bumped up against this issue of we're going to end up with F sharp sprinkled here, there, and everywhere. I don't actually care if they end up in the same assemblies. I just want to know what the right way to be goes. Yeah. Uh, I would say it depends on who you're, who's developing your app, right? Mm. I mean, it, it's going to take a long time, I think, before F before F sharp programmers outnumber C-sharp programmers, and uh, certainly in expertise, if not in volume. So I, I, I see a lot of value in that hybrid method. I see the value today in hiring that one F-sharp guy, you know, who knows that stuff, who can solve those problems, who sits in the meeting and says, uh, yeah, give me about five minutes. You know, I'll come up with something and plug that into an existing infrastructure that works to the interfaces that are specified by the business app. So I don't see that as a problem. And, and in a service-oriented model, um, you could write certain code, the <clears throat> services in, in F-sharp um, that basically people consume, that, that, right. are, that uh, programmers either through, through um, OData the or whole ideas were decoupled anyway. Yep, this right. is just one way to take advantage of that. Yep. I mean, also, some of the features of, um, like, for instance, we mentioned JavaScript, right? Some of the features of 
um, F-Sharp lend themselves really well to code generation. And in fact, there's already a product on the market from a company called IntelliFactory that makes JavaScript that's type safe with F-Sharp. So you write your entire web app in F-Sharp, and then when it outputs, um, you can be sure that you're not going to get these like you know weird code that won't compile. It's going to be type-checked, extremely safe, safe as F-Sharp, and it's just going to be outputted JavaScript that you can just have. And it, and it integrates with the back end. So, yeah. you know, automatic invocations and all of that. Oh, that's great. Uh, what do you think? Should we wrap it up, guys? All right. Well, uh, is there any last minute uh, things that you want to just throw out there? Hi, mom, or go to my website, <laughs> or buy my book, or learn F sharp. Learn F sharp. Yeah, definitely learn F sharp. Definitely learn F sharp. Well, they do have a book coming. <laughs> yes. And we talked about it. Yes. Did we? Yes. 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 All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Panel. Thank you very much. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmit a band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a